any place in your business where you can pay somebody less than 25 bucks to do a job, you should do that because what that's going to do is buy you back more time to do things like marketing. If a gym has 150 members, they should just stop, right? That's all the, they should just close the doors and never sign up anybody else, right? Gym owners work extremely hard and they're willing to martyr themselves for the cause. And, you know, that's, while that appears admirable on the surface, long-term, that's going to create a lot of problems for you and your family. Hello and welcome to Gym World Worldwide. I'm your host, John Franklin, joined with my other host, wearing a beautiful outfit today, Mateo Lopez. And as always, we have a guest. We have the best guest, some would say. Um, Christmas is coming early, gym owners, because... Uh, the two brain business state of the industry for 2023 is out now. You can go get your copy at twobrainbusiness.com forward slash data. Uh, if you're watching the show on YouTube, we're going to be showing pieces all along. But this is a visual show. This is interactive, guys. You want to see this thing. It is meaty. It's got all the information you need to run your gym in a data-driven way. And to help us get through this mammoth 66-page guide chock full of information, we have my dad, Chris Cooper. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like your dad. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this stuff. It really does feel like uh, it's a gift that we made ourselves with love and care, and, and we're giving it to like 12,000 people. So for the people who don't know what Two Brain Business is and uh, don't understand the state of the industry and why it's an important document, can you give us like a, a two-minute primer on that? Yeah, Two Brain Business is the largest mentorship practice in the world uh, for gym owners. And we we collect data every year and we teach best practices based on that data. And we, we uh, publish a lot of stuff for free, including this gift, which costs us probably a quarter million to put together. Um, but we, we publish stuff for free every single day. Like that's just our ethos. And we provide mentorship for people who want to get their results faster. And that's really what the company does. You know, we're a free media company that sells speed. But why like, you know, quarter million dollars, that's a, that gets you a lot of chainsaws in Canada. So, uh, you know, why not just, why didn't just pocket it? Like why put this together? Well, I mean, the company really exists to help gym owners. So, you know, we sell things that make money so that we can invest in things like this, like the state of the industry. This is the the data and proof that I wish that I had had when my gym was struggling years ago. You know, I went out looking for, okay, what do I need? And I would go on CrossFit forums. And I would go on Facebook forums and everybody would say, you need marketing. So I thought I needed marketing. And then luckily I found a mentor who said, marketing's not gonna work for you because your business sucks. You don't understand your business. You've got a filthy floor, your classes are inconsistent, you're angry and burned out, you're depressed, you're losing money, like marketing is not gonna solve that problem. And um, being a, a fairly skeptical person, uh, I was also very, you know, I, I didn't really believe a lot of the stuff that I was hearing online from people. And it turned out that was the right move. The problem was that like real knowledge and the real pearls of wisdom were also out there. And so I didn't know how to separate the truth from the hype. And so um, I started saying like, you know, who is actually doing well? Who is actually making money? Who is actually 20 years in and they're gonna be able to retire from this? Who actually got clients and, and is keeping them, you know? 
And um, I needed a filtering mechanism to figure that out. And so eventually when we started making money, I said, we're going to just build this because it's what I needed and wanted uh, as a gym owner. So, you know, data is like truth. I want to give people the truth and then let them build their own gyms from there without the handcuffs of like a franchise model or, you know, uh, yeah, that's it. So this year we source data from a little over 13,000 gyms. The contributors are, um, Kilo, uh, great, great company. Don't know if you, if you haven't heard of them, uh, check it out. It's kilo.com, uh, push press, Wattify and team up. They all provided quantitative data straight from, uh, their gym management system. So we know a lot of this, um, it's reported directly from them. And then on top of that, we have the two brain data. So two brain works with, uh, around a thousand gyms on a monthly basis and collects data, um, in uh, our proprietary dashboard. And then finally, we have a gym owner survey. So, so TwoBrain has one of the largest email lists um, in the space, and we just spam it for a week, telling people, fill out the survey, fill out the survey, fill out the survey. And that provides some of these qualitative metrics so you know where all of this is coming from. Um, as you can see here, it skews CrossFit. Uh, but we have been seeing upticks every single year in personal training gyms, strength and conditioning gyms, and uh, uh, non-binary gyms that identify as other. So, um, Chris, why why do we skew so heavily to CrossFit in, in the data, do you think? Well, if you add up CrossFit and non-CrossFit, it's about 50-50. But you're right. Like, there is definitely a trend toward CrossFit. And that's because I'm a CrossFit affiliate. I have been uh, since like 2008. Um, and I started on the CrossFit affiliate board trying to find answers. I had a personal training gym that was actually doing okay. And when I opened my first CrossFit affiliate, I just believed a lot of the stuff that people were saying on the CrossFit message boards. And that nearly bankrupted me, like nearly took down both gyms. And so when I went looking for the source of truth, you know, one of the audiences that I had to find it was CrossFit. And so, um, you know, like 2018, I told CrossFit HQ over breakfast, the best thing you can do for affiliates was to collect this data and just publish it. And they said, great idea. We're never going to do it. And so I said, well, I've got the money in the, the audience. I'm going to do it. And so uh, we've been doing it ever since then. What percentage of the respondents from the like stuff you like the survey are two brain clients versus like just people on the list? So there's two different parts, right? There's the data set that is anonymous and that comes from like Wattify, PushPress, Kilo, TeamUp. So we have your actual numbers, not just your best guess. Then we have the survey that we send out to people. And that's mostly qualitative questions like how do you feel about XYZ? How are you burned out? And so the the data set is largely non-two-brain. You know, we have 931 gyms in two-brain as of this morning and out of 13,000, that's a small percentage. The survey, how are you feeling? Um, that is like two brain is strongly represented in that survey. Probably like half to two thirds of the respondents in that survey are already in two brain. So it's, it's a neat perspective that you get because you get like, here are the hard facts. And then here's what the best minds, the leaders in the industry are thinking and feeling right now. So we talked a lot about uh, some qualitative data. I know 
if you look anywhere on the internet, there's a lot of banter about CrossFit HQ, much of it negative. There was recently a large video put out by Andrew Hiller where he was uh, comparing a podcast you did with Greg Glassman in 2018 to a podcast Greg Glassman recently did with uh, Mark Bell, I believe, uh, this yeah. year. But, you know, if you look past all the doom and gloom, you look at what uh, our people are reporting. Uh, hold on there. Almost 90% of gym owners feel confident about the future of the brand. What What are your current thoughts on um, HQ, the approval rating, and the general sentiment in the community? Like, what are you seeing? Well, the general sentiment in the community is kind of like um, this awareness, right? This awakening of, oh, wait, CrossFit is not what CrossFit once was. CrossFit is now owned by Berkshire Partners, an investment fund, and they are going to do what an investment fund does. That's different from here's a company that's owned by the founder who really cares more about the science than anything else. And, you know, he, he cares about the methodology and the science. This, you know, an investment fund is going to be more concerned about value capture. Like how do you grow your audience and how do you increase the value or the money that you make from that audience? And so they're going to make moves that optimize for value capture. And then in two to three years, in most cases, they would sell to somebody else and move on to the next project. And so when you, um, when you realize that, okay, this is a different company now, then you're faced with kind of this existential crisis of like, well, am I, do I really want to be part of this company? The good news is that even though the company and the company's goals are different now, the community remains really super strong. And I saw that down in Austin at the Rogue Invitational this week. And so the the key, you know, the, the real uh, thing that affiliate owners should be focused on right now is like, can I, can I maintain the freedom of choice? You know, do I have to do what they're telling me to do? Do I have to accept like their marketing, their software, their mentorship, their t-shirts, or do I maintain the optionality of I'm going to use whoever I want for t-shirts. I'm going to, I'm going to find a mentor that I choose. I'm going to use whatever software package I like the best. And I think when those options start to go away, that's when you're really going to see the sentiment swing back toward the negative. But for right now, um, HQ, I think, and Don and the staff has done a really good job of bolstering the perception of, you know, uh, keeping the community together and, and kind of bringing everybody back together, even if there really isn't like a shared, clear objective yet. What are the actions like they've like taken? Like, what are what are the things that gym owners or uh, affiliate owners are telling you? Like, oh, this is new. That's been helpful. Or this is a thing that I didn't have before that I'm enjoying now. There's a couple of things. Um and the, the value of those things really depends where you are as an affiliate. So if you've never had a mentor, then having affiliate roundtables is really valuable because it's the first time you've ever had a uh, perspective from somebody else or even just a connection to your peers as affiliate owners, right? That's good. Um, anybody that's been to these knows like you really have to be cautious about whose advice you take because they're not filtered and, and you never know. It's just like Facebook, but in person. Um, another, you know, but that is valuable. If you have no real conversations with any other affiliate owners, this is a lot better than that. Another thing now is um, they've upgraded the CrossFit website. So when somebody is searching for like CrossFit in Sault Ste. Marie, they're going to they're going to go to CrossFit.com and find a link to my gym, right? Hopefully. Uh, and so for a lot of gyms, this is resulting in some decent leads. People who are on the CrossFit.com site, um, 
you know, they're, they're going to find your gym. But again, like all of these, there's an upside and a downside. So now I'm kind of competing against CrossFit.com on SEO. So if somebody Googles best gym in Sault Ste. Marie, are they going to go to the CrossFit.com site or are they going to come straight to my site? And this is what I mean. Like it, it really, it's up to the affiliate owner on what they're willing to trade in autonomy for, okay, you, you help me with that instead. And I think a lot of affiliate owners right now are willing to trade a little bit of that autonomy to have more help from HQ. So let me take, I'll show you tail. I don't I don't know how much time you spend on the CrossFit map, but this is definitely something that um, has been brought up in the growth group, uh, which is two brains client group and our uh, public Facebook group, gymownersunited.com. So before the CrossFit map was just literally a map that you could go to and it showed the, the affiliates around you and it would uh, link out directly to your website if you provided uh, the actual website. Now you can go and look for like a gym near me and then the CrossFits will show up and then you find one, you contact it. And instead of going to the page, it tells you their credentials, how long they've been affiliated and there's a contact form. And so if I fill this out, the owner of CrossFit Sea Dog will get an email saying, hey, someone found your gym from CrossFit.com. So you know that that lead is coming from the actual CrossFit map. Um, we'll talk about this later, but our data shows that the average uh, gym is only getting, uh, the average coaching gym is only getting about 25 leads a month. So if you get, if CrossFit can provide two leads from this service and quantify it, that's like a 10% boost. So, you know, there could be some real value. Um, we talked about the round tables, the meetups. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely some, some progress going on. I remember you went to a rogue invitational recently. Um, you, you sent me over to the games and, uh, I remember getting back and telling you like, Hey, Chris, like, feels like, you know, if you look at what the data says, a quarter of the people who uh, left do not feel confident about about the brand. So it looks like you have this like washout where like all the people who are unhappy with the direction are already gone. Um, and the people yeah. around feel feel pretty good. You know, if they, if they didn't, they, if, if they made it this far, you know, it, it seems like a lot of it's like uh, up only. And so it did feel like there was a cohesive culture. There wasn't a lot of negative banter um, around HQ, at least that I heard of in, in my circles. And, and genuinely, uh, everyone that I interacted with on the HQ staff seemed like genuinely interested in, in helping affiliates. Like the affiliate lounge was full of speakers all day. There's a lot of people, affiliates actually sitting down looking to learn stuff. Um, it was just... Uh, it was cool and honestly a lot better than I uh, expected. So uh, now let's turn our attention away from the actual uh, CrossFit realm since it's not a CrossFit only podcast. Let's talk about let's talk about money because this is okay. a show. It's a money about, only podcast. Yeah, this is a money podcast. And so um, data here shows that the average gym owner. Uh, is bringing home around, here you go, 3,900 in net owner benefit. Um, what, is, what is net owner benefit and, and, and what does this mean? Is this good? Is this bad? It's basically the value that the gym pays the owner. So it might pay you a salary. It might pay you 
profits like dividends could be a combination of the two. If you're in a, a highly taxed area like I am, uh, you might prefer to take, you know, money from your gym in other ways. For example, like maybe the gym buys my truck, right? And so when we track net owner benefit, uh, we want to track the total of all those things that the gym is either paying you or paying for you uh, and record that. We don't file this with the IRS or the CRA. This is just kind of like the real books. And how do you feel about that number? It's too low. Wait, it's half what it should be, but it's getting better. I feel like a lot of uh, gym owners struggle with paying staff, right? There's this, oh, like, you know, you talk to every gym owner, they want to provide a good career for for staff members. And I know a lot of times staff think like, oh, this guy count, counting the members, like, oh, this business is doing $13,000 in revenue. Like, this guy must be rich. Like, this guy, really? this guy's... This guy's killing it, and I'm I'm here working for twenty thirty bucks a class. Like, and there's a lot of animosity there. Um, I mean, do you think it's something where like, uh, like, like, how should someone who's making thirty nine hundred bucks a month think about paying staff and providing a career, or or is that just like you're not at that point yet? Yeah, I mean, really, what you should be focused on right there is. Um, being a successful owner operator. So you're still going to be coaching classes. If you're making 40,000 a year, it really doesn't make sense for you to be uh, getting somebody else to commit to you full time because you haven't even proved that the business can pay you full time, let alone somebody else. So you, you are the first test of your business model. And if the business can pay you well, then it can probably pay somebody else well too. But if you're constantly going up and down and your paycheck is different every week, then really, you know, wait and stabilize your model and then hire somebody else when you know you can consistently pay them. How do you I think about question. it, Teo? I mean, you went, you were a, uh, you were an oppressed coach and went on to become uh, an evil <laughs> overlord owner. Um, you know, what, how, how do you think about uh, managing owner pay and staff pay? I think what Chris just said is actually pretty uh, interesting and I kind of tend to agree. Like, yeah, you need to prove that you can pay – it can pay a person uh, consistently and a livable wage. And it should probably be you because you <laughs> are the one uh, – you're probably the first person – you're the first staff member. You are the first hire. You are the coaching all the classes, doing all the things. So, yeah, uh, I think I, I – I haven't heard anyone put it – like that, but I think that makes sense. You know, yeah, you should probably pay a person and it should be you a livable wage. And then, um, if it starts to pay you a little more than that and you want to level up, yeah, then you can find someone else. So I, I, I think that makes sense. Actually. The question I had was, uh, and maybe we're, I'm skipping ahead, but, um, on the revenue page, it said, cause I, I'm, I'm looking at this net overnight benefit number. On the, the page that talks about revenue, um, I think it said that most gyms are bringing in, what, around $21,000 in revenue? Yeah, something like that on 12, page. Uh, 12000 unless you're looking at something different. Yeah, it's between oh, 12000 yeah. Sorry, 12000 yeah. Um And then the expenses page, if you go to the expenses page on 30, uh, like page 39, um, 
I just want to make sure I'm reading this correctly. Um, oh, okay. That is that rent or uh, that's okay. Never mind. Rent would make up the majority of that. So, I mean, what this really tells us, Teo, is that um, gym owners are making a little bit of money, but the landlords and the government are really, in many cases, making more. And that's something that always graded on me as a gym owner. Like, okay, I'm working Monday through Saturday, pretty much full time. And I don't make my first dollar to take home to my family until Thursday, about three o'clock. And up to that point, I'm working for the landlord and the government. And so uh, we can get into like, what is the remedy for that? How do we fix that? But uh, that's just the hard reality of where most gyms are right now. Sorry. Yeah. But uh, the revenue per month, the average was 12. And this one says total monthly expenses is like 15 in 2022 and then uh, 19,000 in 2023. So the math just seems negative like people are negative, negative money negative, yeah. negative money so so yeah. where, where is the owner benefit coming out of to make the math work because everyone's losing a lot of money if you just look at those two numbers so if you look at revenue um there are different data sets that different things are pulled from so the twelve thousand dollar average revenue comes from wattify so of all the gyms in Wattify's system you average that out it's twelve thousand the expense, since your gym management system doesn't have your expenses, there's no way for us to pull that across the entire data set. That comes from the survey. And so as Chris said, the survey is going to bias more to two brain gyms because uh, those are our more active and attentive audience. Those also tend to be larger, more successful gyms, as the data will show. Um, so the average two brain gym revenue is a uh, uh, much higher than 12,000. Uh, the median net owner benefit for a two-brain gym is 4,700. So take this number, add 4,700, uh, maybe subtract 500 for ad backs, and that'll give you kind of the the average for two-brain. So you're looking somewhere in the 23 to 25,000 range. Um, but uh, yeah, if you were to kind of work backwards from that, you could say that the average gym in the Waterfy system is probably somewhere in the nine to $10,000 a month expense range. So, you know, okay. I see. maybe a few grand yeah. left over, which is in line with, um, with the other, you know, numbers, the, the yeah. average sales call I would take on a, on, on, on a two brain front. And it's a gym who, you know, you, you, you're making one or two and you want to make five or six with an end goal of making, taking home 10 grand. Yeah, that makes sense. Because otherwise, everyone's losing a lot of money every month. <laughs> yeah, and some are, you know. And yeah. to be honest, like that, there's a reason that we're using um, median and mean averages in different spots because there's this bipolarity, right? There's like the two brain gyms who are making lots of money and their their owners are healthy, they're making a good income, their families are fed, their coaches are paid well. And then there are gyms completely at the other end of the spectrum who are either at break even or slowly losing money. And there's fewer and fewer gyms in the middle. Now that middle is improving for sure. But like, um, you know, the two brand gyms are pulling up the revenue average and also doing it with fewer expenses. So, and one thing I think is important to bring up is, um, 
when we're pulling from a specific data set, we'll call out most of the time where it came from. Because even though data is coming directly from gym management software providers, the way they track it is differently. And Teo can probably speak to this. How much time, Teo, did you spend trying to define what a member is? Like explain to a gym owner how like uh, Wattify and TeamUp and Kilo may uh, like have like asked for the same data may come up with completely different numbers. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I asked uh, at the two rain business summit, uh, this past summer, I asked a bunch of people, <laughs> can you tell me what a member is? I even asked Chris for a while. Um, and I was bugging him as we were walking to dinner, but yeah, I think because it's tricky because if you look at your management system, there's a lot of baked in rules, uh, as to when someone gets that status, right? Oh, when they purchase a thing off of your membership CRM, that means they're a member. Or no, that's not when we log them as a member. We actually log them as a member when they um, purchase a recurring thing, right? The 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 main example I, I kept running into was you have people who are, you know, selling, let's say, personal training, right? Some gyms still sell these in packs of 10 or 20, right? It's not on a recurring model. It's not set to auto-renew. It's like, oh, I'm going to sell you a 10-pack of PT, and then when you run out, you tell me and then I'll charge you for the next pack, right? And a lot of automation systems, you'll have that pack expire and they'll actually get logged as an alumni if you don't catch it in time. Or let's say your 10th class is on a Friday, you look at your CRM, you say, oh, you just used your 10th class. Uh, I'm gonna sign you up for another one. When do you wanna come back in? Oh, I'm actually going out of town, do it next week. So you may have this five-day gap where maybe they're supposed to be alumni according to the system, but you know in the back of your mind, they're actually still a member, right? So uh, there are other systems that, uh, you know, visitor passes are actually being logged as memberships when they're not supposed to be or vice versa um, or not vice versa. But yeah, like, and, and the other thing that I kept running into was preliminary members. People sometimes will sign people up on longer kind of new member onboarding programs or trial programs, I should say, trial programs. Are they a member or are they a trial? Are they a preliminary member or are they a real member? What's a real member? <laughs> so that's that's the loop I kept getting caught in. And I think that's also why some of these member numbers are gonna be, uh, you have to take them with a grain of salt because everyone's defining it um, in a different way. Did I answer your question, John? Yeah, and the same thing, like what's a lead? Is it an email? Is it an email phone yes. number? If someone right. walks in off the street, buys a water bottle, is that a lead? Um, and so a lot of these people are saying like, hey, a, a lot of the edge that, uh, or a lot of the unique proposition, if you ask some of these companies, like, like why should someone buy your gym management software? It's like, oh, cause we have the best data. But there aren't like these universally agreed upon definitions on the gym management level. There are not agreed upon definitions on how gym owners track. So it's kind of a moving target, right? So you take this number like, Push press average, uh, push press gym averages 159 members, right? It's like we talked to Kale at Gym Launch. He said their internal set says it's somewhere around 115. We talked to Andrew Charlesworth. He said that like within the Midwest region, their data shows it's somewhere in the 120. And then we look at the two brain dashboard and that says something different. So there's always going to be a little bit of variance there. Um, but in terms of let, let's talk members, because that's also a heated thing and, and something that, uh, you find yourself defending a lot, Chris. Um, yeah. If a gym has 150 members, they should just stop, right? That's all the, they should just close the doors and never sign up anybody else, right? That's the official stance of TwoBrain. 
Yeah, right. We, we teach a very rigid model um, where everybody has to have exactly 150 members and raise rates all the time. Um, no. So basically, like, you know, to Teo's question, um, when you get size, like a, a big amount of data, you lose focus, but you gain scope. And, and so while there are a million different nuances, um, what you'd hope in something this this big is that like the the averages are still valid because the data size is so big that you can you can have all of those uh, little nuances and they'll balance out. So um, when we say 150 clients, there's a, there's a few reasons to do that. Number one, um, if you're not profitable at 150 clients, like your model's wrong, and and a lot of people start off with no model. And so we want to give them sample models that they can follow that will really guide them to building a profitable business. So what we teach is like a very, very simple model to start off with 150 clients. You can make 100K a year. You can have a full-time coach and another part-time, like half-time person doing admin or CSM or, or backup coaching or whatever. And then we say, look, there's even a few different ways this can work. You can do it with a class only model. You can do it with a class plus PT model. You can do it with a class plus PT plus nutrition model if you want to. And then we teach people how to use a P&L. And we start off with 150 clients and say, here you go. Here's how it works. And the, the bottom line is not to force gyms to adopt 150 model. It's like, let's use this as a teaching tool so that you learn how to read a P&L and can build a business for the next 30 years because now you've got a system and a model that works. The other models that are out there of like have big group classes and discount rates and get as many people as you want. Like all we know about them is that they don't work because the gyms fail. So our goal is this, get to 150 clients, have a good client value that, that pays you. And then if you want to go to 200, great, because now you're building on a working model. You're not just guessing. If you want to go to 300, great, because you're building on a working model. If you want to duplicate that model over and over and over, like is happening in Sweden right now, fantastic, because you've got a working model. And the model is, um, it's clear enough that anybody can follow it, but it's also flexible enough that you don't feel like you're, you're putting on the handcuffs like a franchise. So you're saying just make your... It and again, we're talking mostly if your 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 core service is large group, if your model doesn't work at 150 members, if you're not making uh, your dream income at that 150 member mark, your model's broken, right? That's all you're trying to say there. What my guess is that you don't have a model. So, and I'm saying like you should be able to make 100k. That might not be your dream income for all time, but it's a good checkpoint. Like, okay, I've got 150 people and I'm just breaking even you know, maybe let's fix your model before you start trying to get to 300 people. And, you know, this, this is really prevalent in the CrossFit circle. So if you're not a CrossFit gym, like this might not apply to you, but, uh, years ago, um, somebody told CrossFit gym owners, his name was John Burge. And he ran this business consulting company called the biz that the best way wow. for them to make money was to get like 300 clients and have them in like lockstep in these 300 or 30 person classes. Well, his background was karate where that's possible because you don't have a lot of equipment and everybody can be synchronized and you're basically doing choreography. That's not what Greg did. Greg did small group. Um, but unfortunately a lot of people fell into that model and there's really no proven success rate in, in the gyms who have run this model, at least not over time. There are some gyms who 
you know, they were the first gym in Atlanta and it, it worked for a little while. And then the second gym opened up and, whoa, you know, now we're in this price war because we're selling the same thing. Um, all we're saying is like, have a model. The 150 model is a good one to start if you, if you don't know how to build a business model. You know, follow that, get profitable, get happy at 150 and then build, extend from there. The number 150 also has some really interesting like anthropological roots um, where we naturally tend to congregate in groups of 150. Uh, behavioral scientists will say that you can have about 150 meaningful relationships before you start to forget people's spouses' names and details about them. You know, like it's just, it's an easy, convenient, simple number. Start there. That's all. So work backwards. If you got 150 yeah. members, you should be able to make a hundred grand. But if you want to go on to 1500 from there, uh, you're not going to get a nasty letter from Chris Cooper, correct? No. And honestly, if you can do it with less, because I do, I get the same amount of emails now from personal trainers and people who own semi-private and small group training saying, dude, I'm making hundred K and I've got 79 members. Fantastic. Like, okay, good. Let, let's talk about the model that's going to be right for you. This is just a simple model that we gave as a sample to, uh, you know, groups and, and people who don't understand a P&L, don't understand what business modeling is, don't understand. They're not going to understand like that we're giving a model as a sample. And so they're going to try to attack us on that model because they just don't understand math themselves. So speaking of like the small group, semi-private um, kind of training models. Uh, yeah. And we made this point last year too, if I recall, but I think it's worth noting again, John, if you can jump to page 24 um, on this lovely state of the industry report, um, there's a metric on here that said the average attendance per class is, you know, around six, 6.9. So it's a little bit higher, closer to seven now, but as a, as a, as compared to last year, but you're essentially running small group right now. If yeah. you're and so if you're not charging it, um, if you're not charging for it, then yeah, I, I can see the, the, that's why you're still stuck in the grind and the model's not working because you're, you're charging for a service that should be premium or more premium than you're, than you're charging for. Right. Yeah. So a lot of gyms get into trouble because they're charging based on the assumption that they're going to have 12 or 13 people in every single class. Well, that's not what gyms are getting. And, you know, in 2010, this was the model that everybody was trying to chase 20 or 12 years later, 13 years later. Now we know that that doesn't work, but there are still people who want you to think like that will work because it serves their ends or whatever. Here's the reality. Like if you measure retention rates, or adherence rates or any of that, your best group size is seven to 12 people. At seven to 12 people, it's fun for the coach, it makes money for the gym, uh, and your retention rate for clients is high. If you're running groups with one or two people in them, it's not fun, it doesn't pay you, and your retention sucks because people are like, man, what's going on here? You know, And what you're effectively doing is doing like personal training for 12 or $13 an hour. We had like a 5.30 class at our New York location that Teo has coached many a times. And it was always like the same two people because it's like the part where the gym was, it wasn't like a commuter town. And we started uh, in our gym in New Jersey, like our 5.30 or 5 a.m. class was like the most popular class because everyone had to go 45 minutes into the city. 
And it's like, how many years did we run that class at like a loss before we're like, you should probably just not do this. Like, you know, just, yeah. this is not how math works. Like, and how long do yeah. we At least close to two. On? Definitely close. Because yeah. it, was, it was there before I was coaching there. And then I was coaching there that spot. Yeah, at least a year. So, yeah, probably two years. <laughs> That's one of like the biggest epiphanies some gym owners have when they go into two brains. It's like the, the, we'll just, uh, their mentor will tell them to just like cut their underperforming classes and just the, the act of doing that one, like they're expecting like half their membership will leave like a hundred percent of the attendance of these classes will quit, which is never the case. And then two, by removing these classes, like if you're running five times a week, that's five hours. You just freed up. You just gave yourself a raise. So even if you do have one or two people leave, um, if you factor that into total income divided by time worth, like you're still making more money. Um, so, you know, little hack there. Sorry to interrupt you, Chris. Go ahead. No, no. You know where this compounds and the, and really drives your gym downhill is you say, okay, I've got two people at 6am. I can't afford to pay a coach to take that class. So I, the owner have to take it. So what this means is that you're getting up maybe an hour earlier, you know, I get up early anyway, but you're, instead of spending the first hour of your day, when you're at your best working on things that will grow your business, instead you're teaching this class and thinking about all the other stuff so you're distracted you're not running a great class anyway you're tired and you're not growing your business i mean it's just the reason that people keep these classes is because they don't trust themselves to use that time for better purposes or they don't know what the, what to do at that time instead and so they just keep showing up and running these classes and it's it's a downhill slope so to drive this model point home, because uh, we talk about it all the time on this podcast, just studying models that work and gym owners who are effectively scaling. Like if the data is showing push press saying 159 members, and we're saying that is more than you'd ever need to run a, a great gym. But our profitability data, which is self-reported on like, it's probably, it probably skews high just based off of the people on the list is like net owner benefits 3,800. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean most gyms are running a broken model? It means that there's room for improvement. I mean, the, the thing about a model where you're an owner operator and you're breaking even is that you can do that for a long time. Gym owners work extremely hard and they're willing to martyr themselves for the cause. And, you know, that's while that appears admirable on the surface, long term, that's going to create a lot of problems for you and your family because time's non-renewable. You, you can't like make more time. So the, the key is that not only should you be making 100K a year, you should be making more than that so that you can put something away so that you're not coaching the 5 a.m. class for the rest of your life. So does that mean everyone just has to charge more? Does that yeah. mean? Yeah, that's okay. basically it. Yeah, Great. sorry. <laughs> Problem so, I mean, solved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and that's the bottom line, right? Is like it's if if you're running big group classes and you're not charging a lot, then you're basically in a commodity price war race to the bottom. Because if you're in um, LA right now and you're charging even 129 bucks a month for CrossFit or or your boot camp or whatever. Nike's going to smoke you. Like they're they're coming in at ninety nine bucks a month, and the consumer can't tell the difference between your product and theirs. Nike's going to win, you know. And so, like this is the time when you really have to look at your model, understand what the numbers mean, and make a plan going forward in the future. And like you're almost out of time. 
So charge more. I it's funny you brought up the Nike thing because you know I, I talk about it a lot, and one of the most common things that I will hear gym owners say is like, "Well, their their coaching is going to be really bad," which I think is so off base because um, like we hired yeah. uh, we had like a Nike master trainer on staff. Right. And, and she was the most popular coach. She was awesome. And you she need to remember incredible. that like, even if Nike, let's assume they pay less, which they won't, they're going to pay more than, than the average on here. Um, which is like in the, where are we? Yeah. It, the average cross CrossFit or strength and conditioning is between 25 and 27 bucks. Nike's going to pay more than that. Um, and then you need to remember what it looks like. If you want to be, if you want to climb the boutique ladder, like, I don't know if this is true anymore, but in the city, like top end boutique coaches, if you're running like a soul cycle class or something like that, like they could make north of $200 an hour if they went up that chain. Uh, we had CrossFit coaches from our gym in New Jersey who would coach at like, uh, um, like fancy boutique rowing gyms, make triple what they would make. You know, they didn't like doing it, but they would, they would do that for the money. And you need to look from a resume standpoint, like, What's going to like working for Nike or working for CrossFit Laughing Cow, which one's going to be more noticeable, which one's going to have more star power? Like there, there are other things that uh, you want to take into consideration here. Right. Uh, and especially in like L.A., New York, where these studios are going to be like, I think they're going to have some good looking and good coaches. Um, and just so to reiterate the point you made earlier about the situation at Bowery, like she may have had slightly less technical knowledge than some of our other coaches. And she was still the most popular coach because her classes were just so incredible and so fun and so energetic. And also, yeah, she was still just a great coach and like an amazing CrossFit athlete too. So, you know, you, maybe, you know, more about, um, posterior chain work than a Nike coach, but it's not going to, it's not going to make a difference here. It, you're still going to lose, I think. We we sponsor her visa. Like she she qualified as like an, an exceptional person uh, because of her work with Nike. Like it opens up. Like that brand opens up doors. Isabel, love you. Uh, hope you're doing well. <laughs> Shout out. All right, Chris. So. I brought up the slide on effective hourly rate. You're talking about like how canceling a class allows you to free up more time to work on the business, which has these downstream effects that are positive. Can you explain what effective hourly rate is and what a good one is if you are uh, uh, an average gym owner? Yeah, so I opened a gym because I needed to make more money than I was as a personal trainer. And the mistake that I made was just thinking like, I can work harder as an owner because I'll have something to lose. And I did. But what quickly happened was like, I, I started trading more time for about the same amount of money. So effective hourly rate is really a measure of like, how good are you at being an owner instead of being a trainer? And it's what you do is you take like your net owner benefit, how much the gym pays you and you divide it by the total number of hours that you're working. And that gives you your effective hourly rate. And then you use that to say, okay, here is where I am wasting time doing stuff that's not worth what I should be paid. So for example, um, if your effective hourly rate is 25 bucks, then any place in your business where you can pay somebody less than 25 bucks to do a job, you should do that 
because what that's going to do is buy you back more time to do things like marketing, to improve your sales, to work with your mentor, to improve referrals, to improve retention, to et cetera. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do at that time and that time will quickly fill, but not if you're mopping the floor every night. So in general, what we look for is this. We want your effective hourly rate to first be at least 25 bucks an hour, more than you, you would make more as an owner than you would make coaching groups for somebody else. Okay. That's the first indication that you're going to be an okay owner. Eventually we want your effective hourly rate to be higher than your personal training rate, because that tells you that your time is best spent as an owner instead of doing the personal training at your gym. And these are just signs that you're growing as an owner. You know, the first month that you own your gym, your effective hourly rate is going to be less than minimum wage. But over time, that effective hourly rate should be getting better and better because that means you're getting better and better at owning a gym. So it says here 1.7% of survey respondents listed EHR scores of 500 or more and less than 1% entered uh, 1,000 or more. So like, yeah. does that mean there are gym owners making $1,000 an hour out there? Yeah. So there are some gyms that have systemized to the point where the owner really doesn't have to be there. Right. So I would, I would be in that camp where with an hour or two of mentorship a month, my gym can run itself and pay me. And so that's where you get this high EHR. Now, what's really amazing. And I love so much about this industry is that some owners, when they reach the point where they really don't have to be there at all, they will still choose to be there because they love their gym. And, and so they want to go in and coach at 6 a.m. and noon, or they want to take just this personal training client. They don't need to. They have the freedom of choice, um, but they do it anyway. Uh, for me, I love coaching people, but I love coaching people in business. And so my gym is going to run on its own with an hour or two of mentorship per month. I'm going to collect an income from that gym as the owner. I should. And I'm going to work uh, where my passion is really biggest, which is to brain. So you're talking about your gym and yeah. you're one of the only people in the, the guru space. I know you don't like that word, but you know, you're one of the only business coaching space. Yeah. <laughs> gurus, business coaching people who actually still has a gym and you're definitely the largest uh, like you have the largest business coaching company by a magnitude over uh, and whatever the next largest person who actually like it's like 10 X own, owns a gym. Um, why do you think that is? And, and like, has running your gym always been just like easy and taking an hour? Yeah, no, I mean, so ironically, I think because of the data set that we have um, of all the business coaches in this space, I think I could get away with not owning a gym. In fact, you know, one of the mentors on our team, we have these scientific discussions all the time and it's why I love them. They're so smart. Uh, but they, you know, they made the argument that Chris, as long as you own your gym, you'll always be viewing the data from 15,000 gyms through a lens of your own experience. And so you should probably get rid of your gym so that you have a completely objective view of what these other gyms are doing. And, uh, you know, we built two brain, to not be determined by what my gym does. I don't want like an N equals one example informing everything that we tell every other gym owners. Like I'm not trying to duplicate catalyst with every gym that we work with. And so over time, what's that, what that's meant is like the first 10 gyms that I worked with, 
they eventually did better than Catalyst. And then the next 100 gyms did better than those 10. And the next 1,000 gyms did better than those 100. And they keep getting better. And so now Catalyst is the beneficiary of TwoBrain instead of TwoBrain being like, well, here's what I did at Catalyst. And that's where you know a lot of gym gurus in the, in the space or whatever, they'll say, well, I did this differently. Let me tell you how to do it. And it's just like, you know, you're supposed to be copying what they did. And they have this N equals one data set. We don't want that. Which is fine if you want to do a craft coaching company. Or I think a lot of these guys go wrong and then turn around and bash two brain is that, you know, when you're working with a thousand gyms, you have to you have to provide information that works everywhere. Yeah. Not that's just right. your gym in Las Vegas or, you know, people in tier one cities or, you know, it, it has, it's just a lot more, the information has to work universally where if you just want to say, here's what I do and you want to try and get a hundred other gyms to, to do the same thing and, and it may or may not work. Um, it's just, it's just a different game, right? Personal values. I feel it's irresponsible to say, here's what I did at my gym. It worked. It's going to work for everybody. Um, but that's just, you know, I was brought up in a, a scientific home where it's like you, you have to know here's what's actually going to work before you share that with anybody else. Recently, you released a video on the Turin YouTube where you talked about how uh, your gym was actually struggling and doing a lot worse than the average two brain gym. And uh, you talked about how you use some of this information to actually like turn it around. Can you, can you talk us through that a little bit? How, how this guide was able to kind of be a North star. And, uh, I know you hate that. You hate that word. How, how, how that guide was able to, uh, I hate that word too. So maybe we'll just remove it. Um, how does guide help you fix your gym? Yeah. So what I did was first I said, okay, when I was in this position in 2008, I didn't have any real data set like everybody out there was guessing or exaggerating or sometimes lying. Uh, and it, was, it wasn't clear like where the truth was. So it was hard for me to get to bedrock and I had to really reinvent a lot of stuff myself back then. It took me years to turn my gym around and I blogged every single step. But this time going in, I said, okay, let's start from truth. What do we know to be true? Well, um, you know, we know that like I need about 150 clients, okay? I know that my ARM has to be around 205. Okay, uh, I probably need about one full-time person and one half-time person, but I don't need 12 coaches. Okay, and so what this did was it, it gave me numbers to start with. And so I looked at our P&L and I said, here's what I know works from TwoBrain. These other things are question marks. I, I don't know if the kids program is really good for me. I don't know if the nutrition coaching is really helping me. Let's cut back just to the things that work and just do them well first. So that's what we did. And so we went through this audit and we said, okay, you know, here's what we know is working well. We know uh, I'm going to have some groups because I love them, but I know my group rate has to go up. So I'm going to change my group rate. Uh, oh, hey, semi-private's working amazingly well. Let's introduce that and let's keep personal training because that's always been a good cornerstone of Catalyst. But let's get rid of trying to market to teams like hockey teams. Let's get rid of our kids program. Let's get rid of uh, our um, nutrition program for now. Let's hold those things in abeyance and just focus on the things that we know work. So then I had the data set to show me where to start. The next thing that I did was go into the two brain materials and say, okay, look, hey, my coaches need clearer contracts. Well, here's 
you know, the contract template. Uh, hey, I know I need to update this staff playbook. The last two GMs didn't do that. Okay, well, here's the playbook sample. And so once I had clarity, I could move really, really, really fast and do things in about two and a half, three months that had taken me two and a half, three years in the past. And so what happened was Catalyst was on a, a downhill slide and I, you know, I explained the reasons for that and, and it's ultimately my fault, my responsibility that it got to that point. Uh, what I had to do to level it out and then how I got the thing growing again. And honestly, um, you know, we were able to turn it around within about three months. We've got an amazing staff. We're hiring again. Uh, we had 11 no sweat intros last week, you know, and like we're, we've turned ads back on. We had shut them off. Um, we're doing only what works and we're being, we're practicing virtuosity, like just doing the basics really, really, really well right now. And, um, the gym is profitable again already. And more importantly, I love it again. There might not be a big sample size for this, but uh, for the gyms that have st stood the test of time, who are like uh, 10 years plus, who've been around for 10 years or 10 years or more, um, is this a common thread you see? Like at a certain point, you kind of have to reinvent yourself. You have to go back to the basis. You have to like, you know, shed the fat or whatever and, 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 and kind of reinvent yourself or, for some of these gyms that have been around this long, is it like, you know, the pizza restaurant that never changed its recipe, never changed a single thing about the inside. And that's the reason why they've been around for so long. They've just done the same thing over and over forever. And it's been, that's why it's so good. Well, there's a balance there. So the core of what you do has to stay the same, but at the same time, you always have to be trying new things. The key though, is that you've got this consistent core. So, you know, several years ago, there was this new you challenge, right? And uh, I did it and a few hundred other gyms did it. I did it and it was just kind of like the cherry on top of what we were already doing. We already had a, a good blog. We had a, an amazing email list. Uh, we had an amazing referral program. And so when new you brought us 30 clients the first time, it was like an amazing bonus. And when it brought us 12 clients the second time, it was a pretty cool bonus. And when it didn't work the third time, it was like, ah, oh, bummer, but it's not killing my business. Where gyms got into trouble using the same playbook was that they didn't have any consistency at the core. And so they were in trouble. They did new you and hallelujah, we won the lottery. And the second time when it didn't work, it was like, uh oh, uh, oh crap. And the third time when it didn't work, it was like, we're in real trouble. You know, and so the key is like, you have to know what's at your core and be consistent with those things. You have to be profitable with 150 clients and making good money. And that's your core, you know, keep doing those things, do personal training, have a group program if you want to, or have a, another way to scale like semi-private training. You have to have one or two core staff members, even if they're not full time. You have to have a staff playbook that replaces you as the owner so the whole business doesn't rise and fall on your mood swings and your sore back, right? It's like you you protect the core, you build the core, and then, you, then you're free to try this other stuff. And if some of it works and keeps working, you add it to the core. If something stops working over time, you remove it from the core. But like, you know, you can't rely on the next best, the next thing to save your business all the time. So someone's going to go through this guide. They're going to see all these different metrics. Some of them, some people will be better in certain areas. Some people will be worse in certain areas. Um, like, 
how do you prioritize, right? Because I, I, I see a lot of stuff on the internet or um, like gurus and, and thought leaders will be like, all you need to do is just focus on retention and you'll be rich because if the member never leaves, like you, you, you're just going to be rich. But like part of me feels like that's hard to do. and takes a very long time. Um, like how do you triage if, if you're a broken gym or you're, you're a gym or who's unhappy with where you currently are? Like, how do you know what to prioritize based off of this massive, massive, uh, guide? Well, the first thing you look at is where you're above average, right? And you can say, good, like take, take 60 seconds to celebrate that you're above average. Good. The next thing that you do is you find where you are drastically below average and you fix that because that will kill you. You know, for example, in fitness, hey, you got a, a 300 pound bench press, you know, you're in the top 10%, 10th percentile of everybody in the world who does bench press. Good for you. Unfortunately, you're 400 pounds. You had three Big Macs for breakfast and, you know, it's, it's your aerobic capacity that's going to kill you. You should your probably- calves are tiny, tiny yeah. calves. Hey, let's, let's not get personal here, man. Like, obviously you're talking about me now. <laughs> So, um, like you better fix that because it will kill you and it will limit your ability to have a bigger bench press later. Okay. So then you look at places where you fix those things first, like the thing that will kill you, you better fix that. That's urgent. Then next you look on this scale of like, where am I just slightly below average? Okay. And you work on that. And, and just like in fitness, it's like working on your weaknesses. You have to celebrate your strengths, but for you to, take your strengths even further, you have to like uh, improve your weaknesses or at least the base. So I'll give you something that I learned when I was doing powerlifting. My power, my squat was going up, my deadlift was going up, my bench press wasn't going up. Why? Your lats are weak, right? Louis Simmons told me that. He grabbed my lats and he's like, come on, that's not a, that's not a lat that's going to allow your pecs to bench press 400 pounds. You have to build up that base before your strengths can even improve. So if you look at this guide and you're like, well, I got 300 members, like pff, I'm killing it. Right. But those, those members are paying you too little. And so you're still susceptible, um, to, you know, you're, you're fragile, right? You got a big bench press, but like, you're not going to walk up the stairs without having a heart attack. So you, you have to have like all six metrics that we track in this guide. Um, not in balance, but in strength. You need to be good at all of them. Being good at one is necessary, but insufficient for um, success long-term. And since some people are listening to this, they may not be able to see them. Like like what you're saying is find out the area you're weakest in, focus on that first. Yeah, um, yeah. You wrote an entire book on this, right? So if, Simple so, things, yeah. Yeah, so so if if you're a listener, you wanna you wanna learn what those are and and a way to calculate what you're weakest in. Uh, read that book. If you DM me, uh, I may be able to find a way to get one in your hands for free. So, um, so yeah, like I think when I hear these, the when I hear like you need to improve your service, you need to have perfect service, you need to be excellent, operational excellence. It's like, of course. Of course, like who's going to say no? Who's going to say that's a bad idea? It's just like there are other things in play, right? Like if you're not perfect operationally, but your your leg is double average, like there's probably other things that you can do that's going to move the needle faster, right? Yeah. You know, um, it, it's, yes, you have to have an excellent service, but because you are passionate about your coaching and your coaches are passionate about your coaching, you're probably 
an eight out of 10 coach. Okay. Even a seven out of 10 coach. But if you're not profitable, then you're running like a one out of 10 business. And if you're not like, you know, paying people consistently well, or your ARM is too low, then you're running a four out of 10 business. I mean, it's just logical that you fix the thing that you're weakest at, especially if your coaching is already an eight out of 10, it's going to take you a thousand hours to get to a nine where if you applied 10 hours to fixing your business, you're going to see massive gains. So, you know, return on the investment of your time is really what's important here. Where are you going to see the biggest progress in the shortest amount of time? It's also one of those things where you might be too close to it, right? You may like yeah. think like, I have invested a lot in coaching. I've invested a lot in my, in my, uh, you know, education as a coach and the education of my other coaches and their classes are the best. I audit them and they're amazing. But if they really were, you'd see that reflected in other metrics. Like you'd have a ton of positive reviews. You'd yeah. have like, uh, longer legs, right? You'd have, uh, these other kind of data points that would actually show you that what, your claim is actually based on some kind of truth. Um, and so, yeah, I would use this guy to take a step back and say, well, I think I have the most amazing coaches, the most amazing classes, but actually looking at some of these other data points, that may not be true. Um, so that's one way I think you could use this guide. Um, another uh, switching gears, uh, something that I was thinking about where you were saying there's other factors at play. I think John said that. Um, on the marketing side, it looks like there's quite a big jump in terms of like cost per lead and cost per acquisition. Um, is this all just paid ads or is some of this stuff like people are investing in cameras or editors for videos or social media content? Are those costs factored in here? Most people would only factor in the cost of um, paid ads into that cost of acquisition. They might factor in the cost of software like a CRM. Um, but, you know, the bottom line here is like, this is the time to get better at advertising, not to stop advertising. And, you know, if, if you are good at referrals, for example, then a new client can turn into two new clients and that halves your cost of client acquisition. If you have a really great social media presence, you have a warmer audience. And so like your lead cost is going to go down. And if you have, um, you know, really amazing lead nurture, for example, then you won't need as many people to, uh, click on the ad to get the same number of new clients every month. So it's really, it's an indicator. It's a signal, right? But it, it's not like oh, you need to stop advertising because it costs twice as much to get a, a client. And all those things are part of operational excellence. Like the way you framed it was yeah. great. I don't think I've ever heard you you put it like that before. But yeah, like a lot of people think about the service and they're just like the coaching, right? The classes, yeah. the programming, but like answering the phone, nurturing leads, doing all those things are part of the service and those need to be excellent as well. So yeah, to your point, you can have 10 out of 10 coaching, but if you're a one out of 10 business, you're still a five. Uh, the interesting right. thing about code. Yeah, exactly. And like being, if you're a five out of 10 in ops, you're not going to make more money, no matter how good of a coach you are. The interesting thing about being a coach is that the, the coach that's, you know, a, a six out of 10 coach probably makes the same amount as a nine out of 10 coach does anyway. The way that you make more money is by actually improving your business. And one of the things that I hear pedal a lot is just like, do stuff your customers are going to love. Just do stuff that your customers are going to love. You're going to be successful, but there's balance there, right? Like you could 
take your prices, lower them to a dollar a month, your customers are going to love it. Your customers until will you love go a out of business. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Until you go to business or you can't reserve a class time, right? You need to take yeah. that in balance, which is why I love the way you think about the service, like the actual delivery and then the operation and then the actual business itself. And you can give yourself a score that way. So that's cool. They would love a free t-shirt every week. Every week they show up free t-shirt. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it, it is your responsibility. Like, just like your kids would love to eat Captain Crunch three meals a day. It's your responsibility as a leader to be successful and make the decisions that will ultimately be the best for everybody. So, Chris, I know you got to go to the DMV. Uh, Canadian DMV. The Canadian DMV, which is going to tie you up for at least the next three to four days. Um, yeah. We'll publish the podcast after that, so you, you're safely back. But in the interim, uh, where do people go if they want to interact with you, Chris Cooper? If they want to interact, gymownersunited.com. It's, it's a free Facebook group that we started as the pandemic started to give people information that would help them survive lockdowns. But that group has really carried on um, because it's tactful, it's polite, and extremely helpful. Um, so gymownersunited.com, if you want to interact, if you want to get the free guide, you can go to tubrainbusiness.com forward slash data, and you could just have it. I mean, we built this thing for you to have and to use. Uh, go get it. And then if you're not sure what to do with the numbers or how to use this guide to make your business better, ask those questions at gymownersunited.com, and we're happy to help. We're going to link to the guide uh, down in the show notes as well. So you can just go on YouTube, get your copy there. I'll link out to the newsletter. And then uh, we'll probably link out to a couple other podcasts because by the time this has come out, uh, you you would have been on the Savan show for the the big guide reveal. We're looking forward to watching that. Another friend of Kilo and Two Brain. So um, as always, this is great. This is really valuable, Chris. And I think people are going to get a lot out of it. Um, have a great time at the DMV. Yeah, as long as he passes his test on the first try, okay. All right, that's it for this week's Gym World Worldwide. Be sure to uh, like, subscribe, and uh, leave a comment about Chris's calves. Yeah.